there's been a couple moments like that where I'm, I mean, I don't want to lie. I was going to say I'm not really an egotistical person, but it depends on, on what we're talking about. But largely don't. I'm, I'm largely pretty much not an egotistical person. But when I when people that are around me, like people that that I grew up with are like, yo, my favorite rapper is, you know, whatever. So let's say it's Jay-Z. I'm like, man, whatever. I've been I've lived next door to you. I'm your favorite rapper. Like this. <laughs> what are we having? This? We're not having this conversation. I'm the best rapper, you know, stop playing, you know. I don't think I've, I've seen that. This is the Stubbs Show. I am Stubbs. That is Trek Life. We're here to talk about his story and the new EP, Crown Heavy. Crown Heavy. All hell and all heaven might break loose. Fuck rain, we came to my soul. We worked the angles out too. Still need for labels, not you. And all your fables might struggle. You new fable rappers get stolen. Feel like my paper being prolonged. Everybody fucking my hold on. More of that fire in a minute, but why this album, Trek, and why now? This non-challenging thing right now, Stubbs, and, and it bothers me. Mm. I, I don't want to be combative, but we can definitely be more challenging, and hopefully this record achieves that. In my opinion, it definitely does. Once again, welcome to the Stubbs Show, and if you like the music you heard just now in the intro, stop what you're doing right now and go to treklife.bandcamp.com and buy the EP right now. Go ahead. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll still be here. Did you do it? Let's go. But yes, on today's show, I have my good friend Trek Life. Damn, this beat with that sample right there. This is off the new EP as well, and shout out to Duke Westlake for the ill production. But yes, Trek has been in the music scene for quite a while now, and I actually hadn't really met him until we started doing snapback stuff together. And I heard his name in so many circles and how dope of an MC he was and how cool he was just as a person to be around. We've shared so many memories together performing on the stage for snapback, and now through the pandemic lockdown, he and I have definitely formed a closer bond with all of the, the craziness we endured and, uh, you know, just somebody to bounce ideas off of. And, and I know whenever I hit up Trek, it's going to be a great conversation. But before we get into the album and, and why he did it and all that, let's talk about what sparked his love for music. Let's go back to the beginning. So my brother and his friends, they had the whole thing. Like they had the boombox. They used to freestyle outside. My brother would would um, make pause mixes and, and, and dub songs off of K-Day. And I just wanted to be like that. Like that was, that was it. If I could be like my brother, that was the end all be all. This is a, a seven, eight, nine year old kid. Just like, I gotta be like that dude. And they were the full part, man. Like all LA, you know, khaki jackets and all that. They, and Levi's and Jerry curls. Like they was, <laughs> they were like the full part. And I just, I just wanted to be like that. So that's really where it all began was kind of the connection between me, my brother and my sister, because they were so much older. Mm -hmm. um, when they went away to college, like that was my last piece. When was the first time when you said, okay, I, I'm going to stand alone as, as an artist, as Trek life and start writing music and doing my own thing. Um, we used to do, and it's funny because Taquan can tell this same story. Um, in LA, there were fashion shows. That was kind of the early performance venue. Like uh, you would see people like Tina Marie or, um, you know, uh, um, Alexander O'Neill. Like they would, they would perform at these fashion shows. And my mom used to try to get me to perform in them, which no. But 
you would meet these musicians and they they all my mom wanted me to tell wanted them to tell me horror stories stubs like that was her thing she didn't really want me to do it she won't admit it to this day but she didn't really want me to get into music like i wanted to so they would tell me these horror stories but the more they told me about like songwriting uh-huh. in the studio and putting things together the more i was like okay i want to do that you know <laughs> i didn't i didn't know how or what direction or even whether it would be rap man like i was performing mr telephone man at my my elementary school <laughs> so, wow <laughs> so i just knew i wanted to perform I, I didn't know you know how that would all turn out or what direction it would end up in but i knew i wanted to perform and the more i met musicians the more i wanted to continue to write and be like that but i had no clue zero clue Zero Weird. clue of the how, but your heartstrings were like, I gotta be in there, whatever oh, they're it doing. Was there, man. Yeah, it I was just there. gotta be pretend pretending the tennis racket was a guitar in the backyard and, and making up my own songs about my dog. Like I was wow. I was doing that. You know? You know, um, it, it takes me back to when I was younger too, and I I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever admitted this, but I would I I, I made a little like turntable set up out of my notebooks like i would cut out the record out of paper and then i would put it on the notebook it's like yeah one day i'm a dj but exactly like i guess yeah the power of a, a child is you know you have that imagination and that like law of attraction be like i'm gonna do this one day damn that's crazy yeah so it and, is and you already had a taste of uh of the live performance when you were doing the uh, elementary school performances and so you already caught that high of like whoa like everybody's looking at me and yeah and you're loving it broke that fear mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know like the 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 initial thing is the fear yeah that's what most people talk about like how can you just get up on stage and do that it's like well i don't know i just wasn't really afraid i was nervous but i wasn't afraid of that moment so what do you attribute that, that to what do you think that where do you think that comes from i don't know I really don't. My dad's a pretty good speaker. If mm-hmm. I tried to attach it to family, he's a he's you know not afraid of the moment, um, but he's not like an outward performance type of person. I don't know. Watching a lot of Michael Jackson and, <laughs> and just I think it's the desire stuff. Like I really do. I think when it all comes down to it, the more that I consider all of this, the more I realize it. It was the desire. It it was just the the want to be on stage outweighed the fear period so initially there's the the desire to perform and then you move on uh fast forward to you know creating your own music writing your own songs where did that desire come when did that shift because there's a difference right like yes like as a dj you can curate songs and play songs and kind of create in the moment but creating a song from scratch is no joke like it it takes a lot of work and creativity. So when did that come around and how did that come around? Um, so I got to shout my man Jinx out. Um, really Lucky Lou and Jinx were the original people who got me into what I do now. Lucky Lou on the club side of things, Jinx on the overall rap side. Jinx introduced us to a manager named, uh, his name was Joe. And Joe brought us to this cat named um, Motivates House. And at Motivate's house, we met this dude named Will 1X. And he, this dude would quiz us on, we knew nothing. Me and my homeboys, I say we, it's me and my homeboy Silo. We were a group called Devious Network. And um, I was about 17, 18 years old. And we had had all these little things happen. Like we had a, a record deal with, with Immortal Records, but we had never recorded a song before. 
It was just the image that they were into the fact that we could rap and they were going to walk us all the way through it. None of that thing, none of those things worked out. And finally, we're sitting here with Motivate, who kind of wants nothing to do with us. So this guy, Will One X, is producing stuff for us, right? That's where I first saw MP. That's where I first recorded any songs. I recorded my first song over Will One X, who you guys all know is Will I Am. Mm. That was the first person wow. to ever do a beat for me and had me record over it. And from there, from that time, I was about, like I said, 17, 18. Hold um, up, Will One X. So that's yeah. his OG name? That was his OG name, yeah. And I don't even know if he knows this, that he was the first person to um, ever that I ever recorded a song over his music. Like I had never done that before outside of, you know, pause mixes and tapes at home. So, for, but from, they were doing it though. They were like the at band clan and they had already had a record deal. And you know, a record deal was a huge thing back then. So it was like, what? Mm. You know, it was just one, another one of those, God, I gotta get to that moment type thing. So it was that moment. Like we had been writing rhymes the whole time. You know, I had been writing rhymes since I was nine years old. And really? Them. Since oh, nine? Yeah. I didn't know that. So. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in. So, like, at nine, you were already creating and writing rhymes just because, like, you had, you know, I mean, it was in the culture. You had seen it. But, like, you already put pen to paper and you're like. Oh, yeah. And oh, and, yeah. and were they just, like, you know, like a line here, a line there? Or were you already in that mindset of I'm doing songs? Like, this is a song. On K-Day, they had these two people. They had the rapping grandma. Mm-hmm. And they had a kid who did a song called I'm Only Nine. I was nine at the time. Uh-huh. And I wanted to battle that kid. Like, I wanted to, <laughs> you know? So the verses were like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? I wake up in the morning and I brush my teeth. Like, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. like that, right? But they were whole, it was whole verses. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, you know, halfway done. It, these were whole verses. Right. So, um, yeah, it was, it was that, man. Like, again, you know, the desire, seeing somebody else do it or what have you. But they were whole verses. I, I couldn't count bars at the time, so I would rap as long as whatever song I was listening to, whether it was Run DMC or what have you, would, I would try to record as long as they did, or I'm sorry, not record, rhyme as long as they did, but that was it. And then did you have like, uh, you do you still have, like did you have notebooks and, and do you like, did you like archive, like do, I wonder if they're they're still around, like do you keep them around? Totally, dis- completely disorganized uh-huh. and I had one of these, um, so glad I didn't have social media at the time because I had one of those emo teenager moments where i threw my rap book away because i was frustrated oh. and girls didn't like me and yeah i did all that corny stuff so <laughs> um so yeah i couldn't i couldn't i a couple of verses it didn't make the record but i actually did find a verse from when i was 15 and record it for this current record but um, really? that song didn't make the record yeah so where did you find that verse that was when you were 15 like it was, I was just digging through old pictures at my my parents house uh-huh. and i guess i had put this little notebook of raps that was in like the back of this photo album wow from my, you know from my teenage years and it was one it was one in there and it was like one of those super uh 90s hip-hop you know where there was this big words for no reason type <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> but you know it was still it was still fun and what did what did that feel like i mean that's a trip that you're using something from when you were 15 on this present day album that you're putting out in 2021. Yeah. It would have been dope to have that make it. It just, it just didn't make it. It might be like a bonus track, but, but yo, it was interesting because Mm -hmm. it didn't have any backbone to it. It was just words that were, you know, words for the sake of words, but 
they're still rap like that now. Yeah. Right. Like there's there's sometimes there's not always all this substance everywhere, so it would have fit on a non-substance song. So it was cool. I'll admit, for me as a DJ, like I I, I think I'm more melodic, and I I don't I'm a rhythmic. I mean rhythmic, and I listen for cadence and stuff like that, and I won't really examine um, lyrics uh, like a lyricist would. I mean, like you you guys are constantly like making sure every line fits every like the whole the the whole part of the story fits and i know you were saying this album is a little bit different than the rest of your albums because you were you were saying it's uncompromising correct and and how how is how is that so compared to your hometown foreigner and and your previous albums um it's gone in stages uh price i paid was very compromising it was very much trying to, we were trying to get a deal at the time, really trying to make sure that we were, you know, getting a leg up on the competition. Like Little Brother was out at the time and they were doing records that were kind of doing like a mild crossover, right? So um, it was highly a compromising record where I was writing songs that I wanted people to like. Um, and then everything changed. Nothing was a little bit less of that, but there was very much this like, let's, Let's see if we can get a radio joint. Like Talib's on the radio. We'll we'll pretend like we're not trying and be like, oh wow, we're we're on the radio now. You know, <laughs> like that type of thing. And then with Hometown Four and I got a little more comfortable and maybe there was a couple songs about, you know, you want to do a song for every situation, right? Like hip hop songs have this. Like the song that might be a radio song, might not. You could dance to it, but don't trip. We weren't trying. Mm-hmm. Then you got your battle song, and then you got your song for the ladies. I think this time I just wrote. I wrote whatever came to mind and I didn't consider the audience at all. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't even wasn't even a thought. Like maybe like, oh, this is this is this is dope. People are going, you know, this is going to kill them in that that sense. But nothing that I was like, man, this is going to be the record that everybody likes. I would finish a song and be like, god, man, people are going to hate this. But <laughs> That's that's just how I felt. Yeah, like people you know? are gonna hate this, but I love it, and it comes from a, a place of like true. The root of what, what I'm feeling at the moment, right? And, Correct. And and can you talk? Can you tease a little bit about what you're feeling and and what you write about? Um, well, the name of the record is Crown Heavy, um, and you know where that has a lot of different meanings for me. Um, it's sort of just kind of real basic, like a lot on your mind when your thoughts are heavy and and it may not be valuable or important to others, but they're weighing on you. So police brutality, of course, would be the, the you know, mo- most political, quote unquote, political record on on there. There's songs about there's a song about um, how bipartisanship divides people. Um, but if you listen to the title track, it's it's really not so much industry frustration, but just, all right, listen, y'all, I've been cool this whole time. I've been nice. Mm-hmm. I've been the friendly one this entire time, and now I'm not doing that anymore. It's, I don't, there's a line in it that I think it's, I, I'm, I'm going to share the line. It's the most important line on the record, and it sounds so mean-spirited, but it's very simple. I said, I don't want to be homeboys, friends, group, tag, team, or click. For what? Man, that's just more cheese to split. And the reason why I said that is not because I'm not trying to be friends with people, but there was there's a point where I think as an artist, you have to be like, look, this is about me, period. It's about me and what I want to create. 
so that's that's where I ended up. That's the direction I decided to go in. Mm -hmm. Because you've been in, involved in a lot of like crew things, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, doing snapback crew, been doing DP sound. And, you know, with that, I think it's, it's a nice balance to have, you know, like I get why different people in the band want to work on solo projects is because like, okay, you know, we're, we're doing this thing that contributes to this overall thing that we've built. But at the same time, everybody's their own person where they want to work on solo projects. That's a, a true expression of themselves. Yeah. And um, yeah. when did when did you start writing this album? Did you start writing it like in the pandemic, like 2020 or, or pre-pandemic? Um, four of the six songs were pandemic, you know, last started in last March. Mm -hmm. um, Crown Heavy, the title track has been done for over a year, uh, probably like almost two years. Um, and then Bipartisan Jam is an interesting one because... It was done in part. It was complete during the pandemic, but it was it was pretty much conceptually written. Um, I just kind of reworked some things, some lyrics for it. But so yeah, most of it was pandemic. But I I have to note that the concept for this album Crown Heavy is four, three, four, five years old. So would you say that you know the concept was already there? Like you already knew, plant the flag in the ground. This is what I wanna what I wanna write about. But the pandemic almost like threw gas on it and was like, okay, keep going. And, and it, it, I'll admit, like, when we were in the pandemic, it, it forced us to stop, to slow down. But at the same time, it gave us some room to work on a lot of different things. Like, for me, obviously, my health and fitness. For you, it sounds like you got a lot of writing done, amongst other things. Would you say that it, I don't want to say blessing in disguise, because obviously the pandemic is the pandemic, and, you know, sure. our lives are never the same but um would you say it contributed to that by far it, yes absolutely 100 percent, yes um my time uh, the time that i spend getting to work was gone mm -hmm. right i i drive from west covina to glendale every day it's really simple <laughs> not making that drive gave me two almost three more hours worth of time to spend doing other things, spend chilling with my kids and taking them to play outside and also just learning Photoshop and of course, finishing a record. It just, I, all of a sudden I had this extra three hours. Like, what am I doing with this? And that's right? crazy, right? Cause I'm in the same boat, but it's three hours a day compounded five times a week. Like it's, yeah. it's freeing. Yep. It's liberating. I, I never want to go back. <laughs> I'm like, please leave us at home. <laughs> this but is yeah. a good segue, though, because I know, you know, have you always, um, I don't know this about you, but did you, did you at one point, for me, I know I tried DJing full time for one year and I was like, mm -hmm. never mind, I'm good. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I went to, well, I worked for Cheap Shot. But then I worked for his company, so I had some steady income and supplement to DJ. But then I eventually got a corporate job. Did you always have, um, you know, like a company job, a day job? Um, or did you do musicianship full-time at some point, at one point? Um, I was full-time for about 10 years. Really? About 10 years, yeah. Um, the reason why I was no longer full-time was the, my daughter, my oldest daughter was born and, uh, I, I couldn't, I just, I, I knew I wasn't the type of artist that was going to super compromise to make, make money. Mm -hmm. I, I have no problem working. I grew up in a 
you know, both of my parents work for the city and the state. Yeah. They, my whole life. I didn't, I never saw working as like this giving up on your life type thing that a lot of people in the industry, if you go, if you get a job, you quit and now your life's horrible. I'm like, eh, no, I don't believe that. I'd rather not chase down promoters for checks when my daughter needs to be fed. And the catalyst for it was there was a tour that was planned when everything changed, nothing came out. And that tour would have done well uh, for myself, my little girl, and for for the advancement of my music. And just randomly, it was upended by the label. And that was the moment, Stubbs, I was like, yo, you just basically told me now you can't feed your daughter. Yeah. I mean, maybe not so much in, in direct terms, but you knew what the situation was. But did but of course the label does what's best for the label right so and the artists that were also involved so i i was done with that i could not put my daughter in that position i can live like that i just can't put my daughter in that position right. and also again wasn't gonna compromise musically so um to answer your question like after that moment after i saw my little girl's eyes and knew that i had to put food in that child's mouth mm -hmm. every every day i was like yo i'm not i'm not giving y'all a chance to tell me i can't after the break we explore the things that keep us up at night this production is brought to you by Snapback Live. Since 2012, we've been keeping the golden era of hip-hop alive and well in the club scene. And now we've taken the party online. Whether you love old-school artists like Biggie, Outkast, Tribe Called Quest, or R&B favorites such as Jade, Janet Jackson, or Jodeci, we play it all in our sets. You can tune in Monday through Friday at 12 noon Pacific, where we feature a different DJ every day playing nothing but the classics on twitch.tv forward slash snapback underscore live. For the latest news, merch, and media, visit Snapback snapbacklive.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram by searching snapback underscore live. Do it. And we're back on the sub show with my guest Trek Life. And in the next segment, we dive into the psyche of being creative and the reasons behind it and, 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 and why we do it. Let's jump in. I've, I had a, a, a college professor that said, reject the binary, right? Like you got to do music or you got to do a date. It's like, no, and I think yeah. that's where you and I um, are very similar where, you know, we we're, we can do the day job thing and it's it's fine. You know, it's it's not like a, I read a book that talked about how you shouldn't let your job define you. Like some people put too much weight into that and like there's so much more to life. Like there's you don't you don't get everything from your job and if you don't then that's like a mindset shift that you might need to that one might need to have but like to be able to put food on the table and scratch this creative itch and like create something amazing and something out of nothing is is satisfying mm -hmm. it is i i had a conversation with my wife yesterday just yesterday um, and I was asking her, why are you valuable to your job? Mm. You know, what, what, when people hand you or when people discuss you, why do they discuss you? What are they, what are they talking about? And she gave me her answer, which I thought, you know, was a good answer. Um, and then we talked about why that's not the same value everywhere else. What makes you valuable to your job may not make me, what makes me valuable to my job may not be what makes me valuable to Snapback. And what makes mm -hmm. me valuable to Snapback may not make me, what is what makes me valuable at home. You know what I'm right. saying? So I can't put all this weight into, of course my home is where the most weight goes into, but I, I don't I don't find myself um, putting a lot of weight into my job like that, like the feeling of it, right? Yeah. I go there, I do, I do the best that I'm, I can, 
um, go above and beyond and try to excel because I feel like supporting someone else's business is that equally as important as supporting your own. If if I can help push Snapback, even though it's not technically my own business, um, I don't see it that way. I don't see it as something totally separate. So I just don't value myself like that. I know that you you mean different things in in different situations and to different people. And when I write my songs now, it's for me. It's really for me. If only five of these things sell, so be it. If none of them sell, so be it. That's just the way that I see things now. That's that's where I'm at as a as an individual. I can stream on Twitch and have three people and not feel, I don't feel a single thing about it. Right. So, and that's another thing that the day job brings too, right? Is that security? It's like yes, it's, yes. you don't have to worry about uh, you know, yeah, like putting all that weight into how many cells you're gonna have, and and. Do you think that um, what does creating songs do for you? It just keeps you sane. Is it is it it is it that thing of like this is what I was always gonna do? Like I just get, like I'm a musician. I I like to create music. This is what we do. So you're gonna do it regardless. Or what does it provide? It's incredibly for you? personal. It's 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 man. There's not a word if whatever the greater word for incredibly is, it's just mega personal. It's I've been thinking about these things. They've been weighing on me. I can't sometimes I can't sleep. And mm. when I record the song with those those thoughts, then it's it's peace. I can I can experience some peace. Other times, man, it's it's y'all think I can't rap? Like what's wrong with y'all? You know, what I'm saying then it's, then it's it's that there's the ego part of it. It's it, yeah. it's multiple things, but a lot of it is just it's very personal, man. And it's become more and more personal as I've gotten older. Um, and I think that's really the backbone, the driver of it is being able to kind of experience that therapy, create creative therapy, if you will. Mm, what um, a buzzword! Is, yeah, is creative therapy. Yeah. That's what it is, huh? Yeah, I think a lot of that, to be fair, is what's happening and learning how to use, you know, Adobe Premiere, doing the 52 verses uh, every week and e even helping with the flyers for snapback or, or things of that nature. It's, this, it's creative therapy. It's that that seeing something start from this and end up being like something that people marvel at in a sense or or even just recognize. It's it's a therapeutic to watch it start from start to finish. Where did the idea of 52 verses come from? Um, the, it was very, that's an ego thing. I mean, I have all these albums out and people don't even know. I was in, shout out to Neil Jackson. I was in Neil Jackson's stream and I mentioned, um, yo, you know, new record coming out. He's like, yo, where do I get that? And then I realized like, he doesn't know that I have three, well, just like six records that he could be playing right now in his, mm. his stream, you know? Um, so I'm like, why don't people know? So I started, okay, I'm going to put out 52 verses from prior projects um, and of course some from the current project just to be like, yo, I realized that this whole time you've known me as whatever you've known me as, I've actually been an MC. Um, so yeah, it's it, it brought me back to a really funny moment when I was at, a, I was MCing for Usual Suspects and a guy I went to high school with, uh, I mean, he's known me since I was 14 years old. One day we're all standing out front of the club and he's like, oh, you rap? I'm like, <laughs> yo, what? How is this a thing? <laughs> so, but that's been the common experience. So that's where yeah. 52 Verses came from. Damn, I I, uh, I just had a flashback to, yeah, one of my high school buddies that I knew. Um, 
I don't think he said, oh, you DJ. I think he said, oh, you produce? And like, <laughs> I don't know. To get that question when it's like, yes, I've been. And that was back when I was still working for Cheap Shop, making beats and doing these things. I was like, yes, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, man. Yeah, fuck you, Ben. I've been doing this the whole time. Matter of fact, I'm like one of the best you've ever met personally. You should, you should be telling your friends. But yeah. There's been a couple moments like that where I'm, I mean, I don't want to lie. I was going to say I'm not really an egotistical person, but it depends on, on what we're talking about. But largely, don't. I'm, I'm largely pretty much not an egotistical person. But when I, when people that are around me, like people that, that I grew up with are like, yo, my favorite rapper is, you know, whatever. So let's say it's Jay-Z. I'm like, man, whatever. I've been, I've lived next door to you. I'm your favorite rapper. Like this, <laughs> what are we having? This? We're not having this conversation. I'm the best rapper you know. Stop playing, you know? I don't think so. I've, I've seen that side of you. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, it's coming a lot. It's coming up a lot in this interview, and I, I, I like, uh, man, the ego fascinates me, right? Because it, it's a tricky thing where, you know, at, at some point it can drive you to do great things and and strive for better. Other points where you know I'm discovering, like, you know, sometimes it's not always right. Sure. But but um, creatively, yeah, I think it, it's a it's a major driver. And like, all right, here we go. Yeah, bang this out. I don't want to ever hear a rapper without an ego yeah i don't i don't want to see anybody in hip-hop without i don't want to see i don't want to dj without an ego what, who is that dude like what what is he doing you think cheap or rev or ice or remark or any of them dudes don't have an ego what are you talking about they they feel like they're the best in the room in every room they walk in and then they got to go prove it and they'll they'll make their best attempt to prove it. I I don't see as as kind as Stubbs is and as good natured. I Stubbs got an ego. It's, it's very true. Clear. You got it. You got it. Like especially if you're about to go on, right? Like yeah. here we go. Like you got to like. It's like in that scene in Thirty Rock where Alec Baldwin's like, "You're a lion." <laughs> Let's go. That's me before I jump on Twitch. By the way, <laughs> you you <laughs> you're always psyching yourself up, and you're like, "Let's go." Yeah. Yeah. The name of this beat is Don't Stop and it's also off the Crown Heavy EP. But you already know that because you copped it in the last break, right? Speaking of Crown Heavy, let's dive deep into making the album. The process and the mindset behind it let's let's kind of go over the record yes um just a little bit and what it what it means but then there's also kind of a conversation about hip-hop that i'd like to have and i don't want to go into like the what hip-hop is or isn't per se mm -hmm. but i think there's a there's a lot lost in the in the conversation and i'm hoping this record drives that a lot of that conversation so one of the purposes of crown heavy as well was i felt like hip-hop itself just or rap divided right like completely divided we used to have west coast east coast but that wasn't an entire division and you can tell now it wasn't an entire division because you can play those songs together in tandem mm -hmm. right but now this large division is like people are either going to be stuck in the 90s and they're just not going to leave it mm. or they're going to be like we're current we're doing double time vocals over trap beats and it doesn't matter if we're 75 years old and it's not our style we're going to you know do it it's like all right 
So I think every once in a while, somebody has to widen the creative box. They made that that record that does it may not be the record that that is you know might be more critically accepted than than you know publicly accepted. Take for example, uh, Inner City Griots by Freestyle Fellowship or um, Electrics was it Electric Circus that by by Common? Yeah, 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 Electric, yeah, Electric yeah. Circus. It wasn't widely accepted, but it it widened the sound box where people where there was more room to operate you didn't just have to operate in this kind of substandard it was like all right there's these extra sounds we can use now because we've seen them mm-hmm. on we've heard them on other records and so i want crown heavy to accomplish that i want people who listen to it to to say yeah this isn't that that far out and then do stuff that they think is further out you know or or feel confident and feel comfortable not trying to be weird not not being like i'm gonna do be weird this is a cello mixed with a a rabbit screaming like (laughs) that kind of corny stuff you know what i mean yeah but just widen the box a little bit because that's what hip-hop really has been as far as from from the rap perspective it's just been widening the box out reaching out so where we can all tell our story and Right now, people aren't. Everybody's telling the same story. It feels like, or most people are. The story is exactly the same, unless you're Kendrick. But then, even then, you're still trying to tell this version of Kendrick's story from your own perspective, right? We got to tell. We got to. We got to be able to widen this up so that we can all tell our stories because our stories are so interesting. And if you look back, Stubbs, that's what was interesting about hip hop. With the, again, I keep saying hip hop, but rap, particularly, was that. You knew, okay, this is what's going on in Bronx. This is what's going on in Brooklyn. And then the Ghetto Boys came out. Oh, wow, that's what's going on in Houston? Of course, NWA and, and Luke and them in Miami. And then somebody else would come up with a similar perspective. And Philly would come up with their perspective. And, you know, and then Fresh Prince would tell you the perspective from West Philadelphia, which wasn't necessarily Schooly D's perspective, but it was, you know, hit from another side, maybe a middle class family. Then it expanded racially. Right. And you now you're starting to get these further perspectives and it's music's going all the way out to Japan and Brazil. And it becomes this network of news, at least or let's say opinion and commentary. And we've lost it somewhere. MCs have lost that. Not entirely. Not like I'm the only one left that's doing it. That's corny. But that's what I hope people get from Crown Heavy. If, if you're an artist listening, like tell your story. We want to hear you. We don't want to hear cliche. We got cliche. We could turn on the radio and hear all the cliche vocals and verses ever. What about you? What about what's going on around you? Not the girl that you're dating. I know you're 19 and you just had sex for the first time and that's cool. But other things, you know what I'm saying? Like what life is like for a person your age in your world. And I want to hear more of it. Not only are you pushing the envelope sonically on crown heavy because like you said it is different from your other albums and and you clearly like you said not only were you uncompromising in what you're writing about but also the sound sonically because like i mean who knows i'm not gonna jinx it like that could go in a club you know (laughs) like it could go but but it is different it does like i don't know for me as soon as i heard it i got pumped but at the same time, like I could see what you're saying where, um, you know, if if you follow an artist and you, you kind of know what you're getting from them, Crown Heavy would would have been like a left turn for most and be like, whoa, like, oh, yeah. 
So, but you're saying that we should definitely push the envelope, widen the box, not only with the, the Sonics, but also with the, the the storytelling. Because back in the story you were telling earlier, how you would try and cater to the crowd of like following the trend or trying to get it on the radio. Like we all know what that sounds like. And it, I think there's something to be said for being a little bit more courageous in just stepping into your own self and story and, and just purely telling your story. Cause I don't know what the opposite of the ego is that negative self-talk, but you'll be like, I sure. don't know. What if people don't like this? Like nobody's the way you were saying like, dang, if nobody like I could put this out and, you know, sell five copies, I'd be totally fine with it. But there's the, the flip side of that where it's like, if I sell five copies, I'm going <laughs> to lose my shit. And yeah. I think that's most people. Um, but you've, you've found, you've been in the game long enough where you've found a piece and, and, it's more about putting out what you want to put out and doing the work, doing the work that you're set out to do. And it, it sounds like you were on a mission. Yeah. Once, once the, once the, you know, create the creativity within the pandemic happened, it became a mission. It became a, it, it was driving. It was what was driving me daily to six, five or six songs at the most. I'm not, I'm not trying to take nobody's spot entirely. I don't have to do that. And, and this, you know, again, the ego rap, ego kicks in. I already know, you know what I mean? Like, you don't, there's nobody could sit here and say, oh, well, this only sold five copies. Tracks not dope. You know, tracks dope. Like, stop, stop playing. You ain't even got to buy the record. You already know. You, you never have to listen to a single record. I, the, I could freestyle on the Snapback channel or any channel I'm requested and everybody would be like, okay. He's dope, right? So selling a record doesn't confirm that for me. Um, I know that there are other things that go into selling records that that make them um, appealing to an audience, right? Not It's not just sound. It's, it's promotion and marketing and things of that nature. But so being dope is, that's not hard. I was born that way. <laughs> but what is more important to me is is creating something that i'm proud of and i didn't want to give everybody another just the music or you know another you know that's all right or another any of those songs that i've created before that some people have have enjoyed i wanted to give people something that if they follow me, they can they can pinpoint the time in my life and theirs. Dang, when track dropped this, I, this is where I was. This was post-pandemic. It's crazy because this is how I was feeling about this subject and he felt completely the opposite or whatever. But um, And I, I feel like I'm over-talking it, by the way. Like People are going to listen to it and I'm like, well, you're just rapping on there. And that might be true. But if that's the case, then good because I feel like then you've already, you're already there. Yeah. Right? But for mm -hmm. those that are not there, hopefully this is like, all right. This is a boost. Yeah. Would do you still go back and listen to your old records and and uh, compare them against the new one? And and how do you feel? Oh, I'll God, just I say for me, records. like I don't like watching old videos that I've created or old work. So that's yeah. why I'm, I'm asking about the comparison. I can listen to Hometown Foreigner. Mm -hmm. I can't listen to any of the other ones. I definitely can't listen to Price I Paid. 
as much as 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 much as that record i love that record and the people i got to work with and babu and evidence and yeah. of course Rhett Maddock, who um gotta be one of the nicest human beings on the planet um the relationships forged from those that record last to this day but the sound it's me hearing myself at that time i'm like oh my god that dude's loud stop screaming <laughs> you know what i'm saying like <laughs> i hear you i don't know yeah, what it is know. about like being a creative but it, like with a with an album it's part of your body of work and so it's out there and it lives there like with videos i can take them down and <laughs> yeah, yeah but i mean i think uh i think ultimately like you said we're trying to push for better and challenge ourselves and so you know when we're comparing our, our old work to our new work it's just like okay that was me then and yeah i'm proud that it helped make me what i am today but i like I, that's why i have the new record because this is this is what i'm feeling now and this is what yeah. i'm proudest of yeah blue has a line i think that's the catalyst for this entire record and it says he says i might as well try to tell you how i feel when i feel and not just when it's time to pay some bills mm. and i think that's as creatives that's what gets in the way of our creativity is being creative only when it's time to get paid or only when there's a a a purpose that's beyond our creativity when we used to spend hours practicing practicing a scratch for no reason just literally no reason man just you just in your room your mom's wondering what's wrong with you you're in your room you haven't come out for for hours right. nobody's seen you you haven't turned on the TV. You don't know what what the latest trend is. You don't even know which song is hot on the radio. You've just been working on tear scratches for an hour, two hours, three hours, right? And then you wake up the next morning like, oh, I almost got it. Then you show your friends and then, you know what I'm saying? It's it's That passion tends to wane as we get older because responsibility kicks in. But for me, that passion returned for this record. I've, I was like, yeah. When I, would, I would write something and be like, yeah, that's what I'm talking. You know, I was feeling myself in the mirror for a minute and be like, yo, that was a dope rhyme. I, I hadn't felt that way in so long. So, What sparked you know, that? Did we talk about that? What sparked that, that, that like kick into overdrive and really like bringing that spark back? Well, there's this dude named Stubbs, right? Oh, is this the start? No, I thought like pre, I thought like. I thought it was like 2020, something in 2020. No, this is what happened. Um, I was done. I didn't feel any need to make another record. Stubbs, yourself, you'd be like, yo, let's do a video for, you know, a song, whatever. We picked the song, Beautiful People. What a beautiful morning and what a beautiful day to be alive, living and hustling and doing you. Always try to strive for your best if you pursue to do your own thing. Anything less is I hadn't listened to this song or this record. God, it came out it came out in 2013. When did we shoot that video? 2018 or 19 or whatever? Yeah, around then. So I hadn't listened to that record in probably three years. Um, so we record the video. You know, the process of it was was simple. And I kind of just didn't think about it, right? So then you sent me the video and I was like, that song is dope. Like I had forgot about that song and the visuals behind it made, made, reminded me of like, yo, I like doing this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so from that point on, man, I, I, and from, since we did that video, it kind of, it sparked, it sparked something in me. Like, yo, remember you used to enjoy this and you used to write things that, yeah, maybe the people didn't highly pick up on it, but 
Yo, it was dope. And when people hear it, they go, wow, that's you, you know, which I hate. But still, it, it does speak to to like it being, I don't know, quality, if you will. So, yeah, man, it, it, I'm really thankful for you as a person because I think, you know, along with the snapback work and kind of being involved in, in working again, like that, that was a moment for me that the moment I got that video, that's why I sent it back to you. Like, yo, you know, we got to get the actual track on. Like we got to, we can't <laughs> use those. We got to use the actual song because it, 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 it started to mean something again. Mm. And man, I, I really, it really is. I'm being very honest. That was the moment that I kind of took off on the crown heavy path. Man, I didn't know that. Like I thought it was, it was cause you were, you were, you were emceeing at the club. And so I thought you were, still doing stuff and and um but i didn't realize that that moment and even for me right like i was trying to make that i was trying to emulate like the tonight show where it would be like a musical performance at the end and it was a live performance so even when you came back and you're like yo we got to put the real track i'm like wait i thought it was a live performance <laughs> but then at the same time i was flattered and i was like yeah that was it was the shoot was super simple the concept was simple. We're just arriving a snapback. You're performing. But I don't know. It's like, you know how when you write songs or make instrumentals and like there's some songs that you just struggle and fight with and it's like hard to finish. Maybe because it was so seamless and easy. Like I think I turned it around in like a couple of days and just sent it yeah. to you and you're like, yeah, what do you think? And you're like, I love it. Yeah. It, it was completely... Like, oh, yeah, that's dope. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know why it would cross, would cross my mind like that. I, I mean, not that it wouldn't be per se. Now, not, now I'm not talking about the video. I'm talking about the overall performance. Yeah, but yeah, Then it was like, oh, yeah, that's dope. And why didn't, how come there wasn't a video for this before? You know, you know, how come I never promoted this song? All of these these thoughts came in about it. And and it, it sparked a lot of just just kind of action it was like an action it was like an action item for me like, hey you gotta you know say your piece and to be honest with you man like we i don't truly largely do the political speak and i i you know i'm using the word political in quotes but it, man i i would be i would be horrified at myself if if i worked this platform and got whatever amount of followers be they few to you or many um, and I didn't say anything about what's going on in the world right now, as as far as from with me, man. I, what what kind of artist would I be? So mm -hmm. the record starts off like that, discussing the value of using your voice, you know, and the pressure of it, right? That's crown heavy, right? Like feeling that weight of of what's on your mind and knowing you have to express it, or feeling the weight of leadership. Or you know, just just the pressure of of using your voice. It it kind of it kind of sparked with that that video, and then and then of course the events and ha started happening in the nation and in the world, and it was like, I I can't be quiet. Mm -hmm. So, is there a res like, there is that heaviness, but what do we do with that heaviness? Is there like a a call to action that they need to listen to the record for? I. This is going to be interesting. So there are a couple things, and this is going to, this is, I'm answering your question, but this is the most Trek life way to answer a question ever. Being a black man from California, Southern California, right? Just a black man in general. Largely people think when you grew up in the suburbs, you grew up around white people. 
which is just not entirely true for me. I, I didn't grow up hardly with any white people. I grew up with mostly Mexicans and Filipinos. And I came from 110th and Hoover, South Central Los Angeles at roughly 10 years old where there were nothing but black folks. It was, it was black folk. In my world, there were black people, white people, and Chinese people, right? That's, that's the world that I lived in, mm-hmm. right? And getting to a whole other place and learning about people's personal struggles, their family struggles, right? The, the things that, that interlock us culturally in this nation, some of not just the negatives, not the, just the discrimination we face, but how we raise our kids based on the pressure of performing culturally. Right. You don't want to let down. You don't want to be a, a bad black person because that reflects on other people. You see what I'm saying? Mm. Um, I thought that f- for me now, when things happen in this world, I don't just see it from my singular perspective, not culturally, not racially, although there are a lot of things I'm not compromising as a black man in, in conversation and discussion. But when you say, what do we do with that voice? My purpose is that I always feel like as much as I'm being educated about what's how the ills of this nation affect me personally, I'm listening to how they affect you personally. And we have to have those conversations. We do. Somebody has to spark them. We cannot all sit here in our own siloed view, in our own siloed struggles and watch somebody else struggle and try to understand it from this oppressive supremacist ideology that this country is, has put on us. And there are a lot of beautiful things about this country, I know, but I'm talking about the effects. So that's what this record is about. That's what conversations like Bipartisan Jam are about. That's when I write a record about police brutality, I'm not writing a record that says, your struggles don't mean anything, this is the only struggle in the world. I'm telling you, no man, this is how it feels. You know what I mean? And maybe there's something that you struggle with, be it personally or culturally or racially, that feels the same way. And if we can find that common ground, then let's understand it. You know what I mean? Let's understand it and let's try to figure out a way to support each other through these struggles. So that's where my music, that's where my conversation, that's where my Instagram page is. Yeah, I, do I was about to say, lens. yeah, you. That's, you, that's you. what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to give a perspective on how it feels. And then for my own people, just for black America, to hear the voice of somebody who says, listen, I didn't just live around other people. I listened. I had difficult conversations. I was called whatever version of the n-word in tagalog or spanish Mm. by you know a family member of a person that i trusted and cared for but i didn't i understood what it was all about i understood that and that's that's a that's a very american thing to not see each other up close not see each other as valuable but to see each other is in the way crown heavy tries to break that as far as the deeper songs on it, tries to say no, man. Of course, there's some there's some fun rhyming on there, but when when I'm speaking, that's the perspective I'm speaking of. You know what I'm saying? And I want people to speak back to me when I hear my homeboys from Hawaii rhyming and they're talking about, you know, the how the natives feel about the island takeover and and the expense of the island rising and pricing them out to where they got to move to California or move to Vegas out of their their homeland and and like I want to hear that. 
You know what I'm saying? I want to hear that so that maybe if I can understand it, then maybe I can bring it to somebody else in my own world that can understand it as well. And we can start trying to figure out these problems, um, not just from like a non-white perspective, like that's ridiculous, right? But from an everybody perspective, like, yo, this is what it feels like to be appropriated. This is what it feels like to, to, you know, sort of be, I don't know, to like tokenism. This is what that feels like. Things of that nature. I, I want to express all of those things. And I didn't get to all of them on Crown Heavy, but that's always my platform is, is you know, conjoining our conversations and, and our struggles. 2020, the year we will never forget, not only because of the pandemic, but a lot of things and into 2021 that are happening. Would you say that those conversations are starting to finally be had and recognized and people are starting to do the hard work or like do you do you think we're taking steps in the right direction or not yes and no i think there are those of us that were always willing to have those conversations and we're having them um and i think that those that were unwilling to have those conversations are at least more willing to listen than they were prior to 2020 uh, video evidence gives you all the reason to listen. There are, you know, there there isn't a lot of reason to lie. No matter what perspective you take, there's video of it, right? Mm. Um, but as far as the work, you know, without without turning this into a, a soapbox, you have to break supremacy. You can't replace it with other supremacy. And in my opinion, I see I see a lot of supremacy replacement. Right. We're all still siloed into our own zones. Um, we're still not truly trying to understand our neighbor entirely. Maybe we're starting and maybe I'm just not seeing it. And of course, I'd like to hear if somebody says, no, Trek, you're wrong. Right. But, you know, seeing how we kind of will find our own space. I'm, I'm watching. Um, and it's not only black men, but I'm speaking as a black man. Like I'm watching black men assault elderly and older Asians, women included. And I'm saying, yo, there was no way I was not going to say anything about that. Just like I couldn't watch men of my own color assault the Elote lady or Elote man. Like I couldn't watch that. Like what, in my opinion, like somebody has to say something. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to listen to me. I'm not the end all. Like, you know, black Americans are not, you know, a monolith, man. Like, it's not like Trek said it. So it's it's over now. <laughs> like, people are like, well, shut up. I'll do what I want to do. But still got to say something, right? You can't just let let it sit around. So I want more people to be like that and and have the conversation from a genuine place. Not like a, see, I told you that's how they act type mm. place. But like a, no, let's dead this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Let's understand that, you know, a lot of these struggles in this country come from a single place, a singular place. And where some of them are much deeper and more destructive than others have been, it does not mean they weren't destructive to the to the people they happened to. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that that we can do the struggle comparison where I happened, I suffered worse. No, suffering is suffering and how you live through the suffering feels the same no matter how deep it is. So we should connect that and we should try to understand each other and at least on our side, break that suffering. I, I don't know if I see people doing that as much as I'd like to, but I'm hoping we get there.
I hope we get there too, man. So much going on in the world. We can only hope for the best and pray that people will start treating each other way better. Big, big, big ups to my guest, Trek Life. I especially liked editing this episode because of all the dope music I got to, to play around with and, and you know, cut into the episode. And once again, you can go to treklife.bandcamp.com to purchase the amazing creative gifts that Trek has bestowed upon the world is music. You can also stream his music on all your favorite platforms like Apple Music, Spotify, all of that. Just search Trek Life Crown Heavy for the latest EP and Trek Life in general to, to listen to his whole catalog. You can follow Trek on Instagram at Trek Life. Merch is at treklife.la. Go, go, go right now. The Sub Show is produced by Fulcrum Productions, created, written, edited by me, Subs, the Chief Rocker. Be sure to go to thestubshow.com for the latest content and news. Today's show music is brought to you by, of course, courtesy of Trek Life. Thank you, Trek. Dope, as always. And stay tuned for the next episode where I have my good friend Alvin Presto, Presto Fitness, my very first personal trainer. It's going to be a good one where my whole fitness journey started, really. All right, y'all. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening. Peace.